Our first reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. Listen now for the word of the Lord. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, for which we say, thanks be to God. I didn't think about that first text when I... uh emphasized the fact that we definitely need your RSVP for the progressive dinner. But it is timely, isn't it? (laughs) Sure, maybe you have to go test drive some oxen. I don't know. Maybe even get married or buy some land. But um, this is today about something even more compelling than those those opportunities that lie before us, opportunities that are before us every day. Our second reading Uh, includes what scholars believe is the oldest Christian hymn between verses 5 and 11 in this section of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi we find and you can see how it's uh, the editors have put it out for us in your pew bible or even in our bulletin this morning that those indented poetically rendered verses are meant to indicate this these words were probably sung in a worship setting we think probably as early as the middle of the first century. So listen now for that hymn and for God's word to you this morning as it comes in our second reading, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and, in, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who 
though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who is at work in you enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together upon your word to us this morning, as we prepare to gather at your table, be acceptable in your sight, and bring us closer to you and to one another that we might have and share with others abundant life. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. Just the other day, someone was nice enough to invite me to dinner in the town of Summit, New Jersey, you know, with the mall. And when I commented during the course of the meal on how good the food was, my dinner companion said they couldn't believe that I'd never been to that restaurant before. My response was polite, I kind of agreed, but inwardly I thought to myself, who needs Summit restaurants when you've got Montclair? I tried to find an official count of how many good restaurants there are in Montclair. It's a lot more than Summit, I can tell you that. It's a lot more than anywhere, really, except for maybe you know, a big city like New York City. I found on Open Table a page on that app that was entitled, 93 fun restaurants in Montclair. Now, there were a couple of good restaurants in Cranford, where I used to live, and I mean a couple, right? 93, maybe a couple of those are in Clifton, I bet there are, maybe even West Orange. I think there's one good one in Glen Ridge, but you know what I'm saying, right? There's a lot around here. What's your favorite? What's your favorite restaurant? There are a lot of good ones to choose from right within a stone's throw of this place. More to the point, as I asked the kids and the big kids up on the steps, what's your favorite meal that you would have at your favorite restaurant? I don't just mean the food you'd like, by the way, food that you like and enjoy, because we all like a lot of different kinds of food. I obviously like a lot of different kinds of food. I obviously like carbs, right? I'm talking about the meal you'd choose if you knew it was the very last meal you'd ever eat. What would it be? Now, I've actually pondered this question over the years, and not so much for profound existential reasons, but because uh, my favorite foods tend to change. I think if I had to choose a last meal, there would be a chocolate milkshake involved. Thick, by the way. Um, 
but I really want, apparently it's important to me to know how I would answer that question in case I should get arrested, for example. In 2019, Jay Rayner, who is the food critic for the Guardian newspaper in the United Kingdom, received a letter from a reader named Hugh Patton. Hugh had just received a diagnosis of terminal cancer. And his friends were telling him that to eat, drink, and be merry was probably the best way that he should spend the remaining weeks and months of his life. So Hugh wrote to his favorite food critic and asked Jay Rayner to provide him a bucket list of the top 10 meals he should experience around the UK before he died. Parenthetical comment, are there 10 good meals in, in England? Probably. Not. <laughs> anyway, Rayner drew up his best of list and posted Hugh's story and his list of the 10 best restaurants in the UK on Twitter. And his post, as you might expect, received an immediate reaction. People wrote in with their recommendations. They discussed their favorite foods, their favorite comfort foods. They wrote in stories of how a good meal had lifted their spirits in hard times, how they had shared with family and friends and loved ones good meals. And many of the restaurants on the list offered Hugh and his partner, Anna, a free meal if they would just come and try that restaurant. Hugh sent another email saying that he might postpone his dinner tour until after he completed his course of cancer treatment. But Jay Rayner, having recently lost a friend to a similar kind of cancer, encouraged Hugh to visit these restaurants as soon as possible. And he wrote, carpe diem and all that, which except for the all that means, as you know, seize the day. Hugh wrote back to Jay, okay, carpe diem it is. And he and Anna only got to visit three of those restaurants in the last couple of months of his life. He passed away in July of that year, but Hugh's desire for the simple pleasure of a good meal touched many people, not just in the United Kingdom, and inspired an outpouring of kindness around the world. Just a little flash of light. As food critic Jay Rayner wrote, in his article honoring Hugh's life after Hugh passed away. We are all of us prone to dwell on the past or on the future, on the job or relationship that didn't work out as we'd hoped, or the job or relationship that will finally, if we can just find it, give us the happiness we crave. But if you can't afford it, a good meal in a restaurant with people you care about and who care about you, engineered a good meal engineered to feed more than to impress forces us into the now. And the now was exactly where Hugh needed to be. Friends, if there's any meal that forces us into the now, it's the Lord's Supper. This is a meal truly engineered to feed rather than impress. This meal feeds our deepest needs our need to know and be known as we truly are by our living and loving God. Our need to know God not as someone else tells us God is or we should be, but to know and be known by God intimately and personally and honestly, like 
when you share a meal with someone. Like smelling a food that transports you into the presence of someone you love, someone you may not have seen for many years. It's just like the other day, I was rummaging around in my bedside table drawer. Do you have one of those drawers where you just throw things? And then when you try to find something in it, there's no way, because it's so full of things you forgot about or don't need or thought maybe you'd need later. And as I was rummaging around trying to find chapstick or whatever it was, I came across my mother's old address book. It was filled with addresses I don't need. But page after page is filled with her handwriting. Handwriting that only I and two out of her four sisters could actually read. And for a moment, as I sat there with this address book, she was there. And I was with her again. This is what this meal is. If it's any less than that, monthly, when you come to this table, we have to check our hearts, our minds, our conception of what we're doing here. This is a meal that is created by love like that. Love which transports us, love which can change us. It was created by a God who, though he was in the form of the divine, did not, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, power to be exercised over us, but rather emptied himself. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of Christians all over the planet, isn't Lord and Savior because he's more powerful than you or me. No, this God is a God who is Lord and Savior because of his willingness to love. And to, as Paul says in his letter to Philip, the church at Philippi, empty himself even to the point of death. This God just loves. That's all this God does, even to the point of risking everything. If you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't love you like that, then you want to keep going because they're about themselves, not about you. Any other kind of love isn't really love. This kind of love is a self-giving, self-offering, trusting love. And that kind of love never dies, never fades. And at this table, we are bathed in that spirit because that's how all this got started. You know how Jay Rayner encouraged Hugh Patton to carpe diem or seize the day? The Lord's Supper invites you and me, it beckons you and me, it cajoles us, if necessary, to carpe nunc, which is, if you're a Latin expert, seize the now. Seize this moment right now to receive and open yourself to the gift of grace and value and purpose that Jesus offers in his self-offering for us and for this whole world, not just for Presbyterians, hate to break it to you, and not just for Christians either. I deeply believe that. For this whole world, this gift of himself, risking everything for you. That's the only kind of true love that there is. And all right here in front of us, right here in front of you, right now. 
Sometimes, though, for whatever reason, we're not ready to eat this kind of meal. We'll just make it grape juice and bread of any kind. And by the way, if that's where your heart is and mind is, that's all it is. Not a real problem. In the Presbyterian Church, what makes this truly the real presence of Christ spiritually is what's in your heart, not what I say or what Pastor Caroline says. We don't have that kind of authority, but you do in your heart. As I say, sometimes we don't want it. We're too busy thinking about what was or what might later be, and we refuse to eat. Have you ever seen the movie A River Runs Through It? It was a novel by Norman MacLean. Brad Pitt plays the younger of two children, and he acts just like the younger of the two children in my house. There were wars in my house about you ate what was on the plate. These days, kids just do DoorDash. But back not in my day, you ate what was there. And if you didn't, and I, was, I ate it. I just was like, I knew, even if I didn't like it, this was, that was the better move. But not my younger sister. And just like Brad Pitt in that movie, they would just sit there. And it was a standoff that would go on for hours and hours and hours until morning came. Amazing. I love that quote from the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You know, the truth knocks on the door and we say, go away, I'm looking for the truth. And so the truth goes away. Puzzling. It is all right here for us. The famous Scottish theologian, kind of very popularized theologian, William Barclay, who was huge and popular, especially in the late part of the 20th century, shared a touching story about the funeral of Admiral Horatio Nelson, that famous British naval hero who was considered the greatest officer in the history of the British Royal Navy. Admiral Nelson, of course, was buried in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and a group of sailors carried his coffin, as was appropriate, draped in the Union Jack flag to its final resting place. An observer at Admiral Nelson's funeral wrote that as they lowered his coffin into the ground, the sailors reached out and tore off a little bit, each one of them, a little part of that Union Jack flag. And they did this with great reverence, treasuring this piece of cloth that connected them to the greatest leader that they and their nation had ever known. That little scrap of cloth served as a tangible connection to him, as a reassurance that they would always carry a piece of the great admiral with them and so that he would never be forgotten and their lives would remain inspired and changed forever by him. On this World Communion Sunday, as we prepare to come to this table, as we prepare to take up a special offering, which, by the way, we'll receive at the same time as we receive our normal Sunday offering, I hope that we'll lay aside, just for the moment, our inner noise and burdens, our obsession with the future and with the past, and focus on the now on the grace of God that is present in this moment and at this table. And we're not alone in this experience. That's what's so special about this day. At this table, this one time of year, we are declaring our unity with believers all over the world from every denomination and nation and language and culture. 
and with them we are anticipating the day when this Jesus who has offered so much for us out of love will somehow and in some very real way return not in a way we expect I guarantee you that and the world will forever be changed we are united in this blood this broken body because of love we come to this table with humility and gratitude knowing that it is God's purpose to fill us with this abundant life and to make us new creations did you note in the letter, the letter from Paul to the church at Philippi, he wrote to the Philippians that key word which should jump off the page to us as biblical readers, therefore, I mean there's an argument happening, right? Therefore, what I just said has now prepared me to say what I'm about to say and you to hear it. Because Jesus poured himself out, emptied himself, God exalted him to the highest place, Paul says. And so we do. We, as we take this bread and cup with Christians everywhere today, we anticipate his coming again. It's a hopeful vision. And we live as a people united by that hope, though we have no idea what it's going to look like. And by the way, for what it's worth, I don't think this text from Philippians means that everybody's going to be Christian. I think that when Jesus comes again, we're all going to be quite surprised. It will not be like we think or expect. But what I, I can tell you, and what I see in this text and others, is a world where every last person is wrapped up, surrounded by, and infused with the certainty of God's gracious, merciful, and sacrificial love for them, just as they are. And then, because of that love, therefore, is willing to go out and live life courageously, abundantly, passionately, fully. No selfishness, no more hurt, no more tears, as the author of Revelation says. No taking mine first and then letting everything else be you know, fought over by everybody else. Every last one of us, secure and reassured in our value as human beings, in the presence of the one whose love is all we need and have ever needed. We just finished the High Holy Days in Judaism. I don't know if you have Jewish friends or family members. Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And of course, in the spring, right around our Easter, is Passover. It's delicious. I love gefilte fish, by the way. But did you know that devout Jewish believers not only share a meal every year, they also share a desire one day, each one of them, all of them, in their lifetime, at least once, to celebrate Passover, the Passover meal, in Jerusalem, the holy city. So it's tradition, and every Passover meal I've ever been to, they do this. Um, they raise a glass and make a toast. A lot of glasses get raised, by the way, in a Passover meal. But one of them is when they, the following toast. Next year in Jerusalem... Looking forward to that better day. And there's a small church in Wisconsin that has adapted the same tradition when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. They end each service of Holy Communion when they take the cup together by having the pastor raise the 
sort of, you know, demo cup over there, the chalice. And as they're sharing the meal, they yell, they yell next time with Christ. Anticipating that day when this love which gave rise to this meal, which gave you and me life to begin with, which promises you and me abundant life now, when that love will reign supreme, uninterrupted on the face of the earth. May it be so. The way that happens as we look to the future is we focus on the now. We let ourselves be loved just as we are, accepting what is who we are, but most importantly, accepting this gift, which is offered so lovingly, so graciously. It's right in front of us. Please pray with me. God, as we come to this table, we ask you to welcome us, all of us, not because you need to change your stance or attitude at the head of this table, but because we need to know that we are invited fully into your presence, just as we are, all of who we are, and that we are loved to the point of your sacrificing everything so that we can be reassured of that truth. We ask this knowing that you call us also to share that truth with others through our gifts, through our commitments, through our worship, and through our willingness to love others sacrificially as well. In Christ's name, amen.